Thank you for joining me for another Beyond Woman Conversations. I am Jacqueline Walker-Johnson, your host, and my co-host is Misha Loban-Clark. Misha is missing today, but joining us on the conversation is Simone Blackwood, a gerontologist. We're discussing dementia and how this impacts women. This is a topic that you want to listen in on, so stay tuned. Blackwood. And our topic today is, well, our aim is really to bring awareness to the topic of dementia and for us to discuss how it affects women, at what point are we at risk, and just generally to, as I said before, create the awareness and, and bring to mind this matter of dementia and what we as women should look out for, if we should look out for anything at all. So Simone is a gerontologist who specializes in dementia care strategies. She developed the behavioral approach to dementia and Simone works with families and their aged parents and loved ones, supporting them um, as they traverse the road of dementia. So Simone, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, and I want you to start pretty much with um, just an intro of who you are, how you got into the field, the reason behind, you know, you getting into the field, and how has it been so far? Okay, well, again, thank you so much for having me on your platform, Jacqueline. Um, as you would have mentioned, my name is Simone. I am based in Trinidad, and I am a gerontologist. I have been in the nursing field for the past 10 years. And after graduating with my uh, BSN, I decided to branch off into gerontology. Um, the ward I was working on, it's a pretty long story, but I'll shorten it in the effort of time. Okay. Um, there has been, there was um, an influx of aged persons coming in. That's a surgical ward. And of course, you know, aged persons are prone to falling. And there were a lot of persons not paying attention to uh, lapses in memory and other different outbursts, you know, and a lot of persons, even professionals like myself, were attributing it to uh, just the person being old. And so I sought to dig deeper into that. And um, there I learned more about gerontology, more about the aspects of aging, more about dementia. And, you know, it, it intrigued me a bit and I felt it was sorely lacking. And so I decided to further pursue <laughs> studies into the field of gerontology. Yeah. Okay. How has it been? Has the interest remained? Has it increased? What is it like? What is it like operating in such a field? It has increased a lot. Um, one, because it is not something a lot of persons are aware of. Um, a lot of persons mix up geriatric caregivers with gerontologists, geri um, the physicians, geriatric physicians, a lot of persons don't know the difference. So it piqued my interest a bit more to make sure that people have the relevant information and to let persons know that there is support out there because a lot of persons, when um, having conversations with them and explaining what I do, they say, um, you know, I wish I met you when my grandmother was alive or I wish I, wish I knew of you when I was struggling with my family who had the you know the the, the condition and so um it's it's going really great uh the challenge is just explaining to people so that they could grasp the concept of what it is but it has been good thus far and i have been learning a lot on the journey working with different dementia patients so i myself have been learning while i am educating others yeah I mean, it's something that I've always thought about and it stems from the fact that, and I'm not calling anything down on myself, but there are times when I have, as you had mentioned not too long ago, lapses in memory mm -hmm. and, you know, being aware of people who have Alzheimer's, I'm not so sure if there is a thin line between Alzheimer's and dementia. 
or mm -hmm. I don't know how the relation works. So maybe you can um, enlighten me where that is concerned. And, sure. And, and I mentioned the lapses in memory because when I see those people like going through Alzheimer's and so on, you know, you wonder if lapses in memory is an onset. Really? <laughs> so we want to talk about that. But before we talk about sure. that, tell me, is there a difference between how, how does Alzheimer's and dementia relate? Okay. So I'm happy you asked that question because often persons use the term interchangeably. So I'm really happy that you know, you brought this question to the table. Now, Alzheimer's and dementia are two totally different things. In the wow. sense, of dementia is more of an umbrella term that we would use where the person will have lapses in memory. Um, cognitive decline, you know, mild cognitive decline, as we call MCI. The persons would have a certain uh, motor skills decline as well. However, there are different types of dementia, right? And okay. Alzheimer's a type of dementia. Oh. Um, that type is more prevalent, however, and you know, as we go on into the conversation, we will speak about why it's more prevalent in women than men. But um, with Alzheimer's, now you have a lot of different symptoms coming into play. So you have a pattern. So one of the, the early onset is not necessarily memory loss, as people think, because persons... <laughs> Because persons tend to think, you know, I am having a lapse in judgment. I think I'm having Alzheimer's. I'm telling you, it worries me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not, I mean, it's a human thing to remember and forget. It has to do with all the different types of memory, you know? Um, the things that we have to do with, with that we have to do daily. The many daily. things we have to do daily. Mm -hmm. Of course. And, you know, anybody, I myself keep a list because sometimes it's so long, I would forget, you know? Um, so it's not, um, while memory loss is a key factor, it's not one of the factors that I would put on the top of the list because anybody could forget something. What I look at is a party. I look at the person's interest. I look at their interest in... Uh, regular activities that they used to do before. Okay. I look at their interest in, uh, you know, the, the, the environment, you know, um, how they react to their family members. Um, we have different tests that we do, the SIS, the verbal fluency. I would listen to how they speak um, and, you know, to mixing up different things, not forgetting, but mixing up information. I think that's one of the... Um, high on the list as well, especially if the person was known for being sharp, um, you know, always on the ball. So that is um, an indicator for me. And impaired judgment. We find this with persons with frontal temporal dementia a lot. Um, the behavioral changes would happen. You would see the aggression. You would see signs of anxiety. You would see them get tea. Now, I can't diagnose Alzheimer's. Nobody can diagnose Alzheimer's. It's only diagnosed after death, right? So. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is it that we but, hear that people are living with Alzheimer's? Because, you see, it has a lot to do with the, the proteins and, of course, the proteins within the brain. And if we were to do an invasive test like that, the person would die while probably doing the test and not actually die of Alzheimer's, you know? So it's we have the symptoms we have the clinical symptoms that we look at we have the behavioral symptoms that we look at hence i point the behavioral approach to dementia because that is one of the things that is prevalent the behavioral changes right um so with alzheimer's besides the confusion i look at the behavioral changes in particular, is the person mild-mannered? If they were mild-mannered, what are the differences that you as a family member is noticing? Are they speaking louder? Are they shouting? If it's a good Christian person, are they now using profanities? You know? Stuff wow. Like yeah. So those There's are some an aggression that comes with Alzheimer's. Yes. The three is that, well, now that you're explaining it to me and you're saying that Alzheimer's is mm -hmm. a type of Dementia, is that it? It is, yes. Right, because in my mind, I always thought that, okay, Alzheimer's is, might be the milder form, and dementia uh, is the one where, <laughs> you know, you have all of that anger coming out. 
No. Okay. Dementia, okay. dementia, we can say not mild so much because there are different types of dementia. We even right. have mixed dementia, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we have senile dementia. So I would say if, if, if you know, I, I would probably say dementia could be milder. Um, uh, uh, Alzheimer's is progressive and there are stages okay. to it. There are like six or seven stages to it leading up to death because there's no cure. And so it's, it's pretty sad, but we look at the stages and we work with them as much as we can as they venture into each stage of Alzheimer's. So I want to get to the, 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 the matter of women and Alzheimer's, but I also mm -hmm. want to ask this question before we mm -hmm. go there, based on what you just said. So people, do they die from Alzheimer's or they're di they die from naturally or some other complication? Can people die from Alzheimer's? I, that is such a tricky question. I believe that alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to answer, and here's why I want to answer. A lot of persons get tricked or sucked into different, um, you know, falsehoods that there is a cure and they can take this and this will happen. But because it's progressive and because it's a, a cognitive disorder, now remember, our brain, everything we do stems from our brain. It stems from the signals in our brain working together with, you know, happens is that with cognitive declines and with the the, the, the the plaque that inhibits the brain that causes the decline what happens eventually the brain stops working and when the brain stops okay. working your body stops working yeah. so i don't know if to say i don't know if i should say that we die from it but i could say that um, persons would die as a result of the effects exactly. of it okay yeah fair all right but how serious is it as it relates to women and based on the fact that you're in the field is is it that alzheimer's affect a certain type of woman or is there a particular age that it it, it comes on do you, young can young people have alzheimer's just help me out with that um sure okay so let me take the Last question, please, with the age group. What we have found is that because of their different types of dementia and Alzheimer's fall under dementia, you would not find persons with early onset Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's affects persons usually over the age of 60 or so. However, with dementia, we have early onset dementia where we would find that due to a lot of external factors, persons can have early onset dementia. So a, a woman, for example, can have dementia as young as the age of 34. Yes. Um, while persons with Alzheimer's much older, because again, Alzheimer's is more progressive and it's more gradual. So it's very serious, very, very serious. And um, based on the statistics I'll share, now the Caribbean doesn't have, for some reason, we're, we're, we're <laughs> We're not big where statistics is concerned. What I can say is the majority of, we use um, statistics from the USA, we use statistics from the UK, and we do some um, case studies as well. What I can say, working in the field, especially in the Caribbean, 90% of my clientele are women. So they are women like you, women like me, who have parents that they are caring for that have Alzheimer's. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. That in itself is a serious concern because I think within the, the USA, I'll just use their statistics because that's what it's available. I think they have like 5 million persons with Alzheimer's, right? 3.5 million of those persons are women. Wow. And over 70% of the persons doing the caring are women right and so it's putting a strain on the family the caregiver role in itself could be a very stressful one especially mm -hmm. for persons or women who have their own families their own jobs their own kids it comes like you're raising two separate families right, and right. You know, caring for one family how tedious it can be I know Yes, it's tedious. It's it's really hectic, especially if you have young kids. But now let's put in someone 
who has behavioral issues in the mix. Mm -hmm. How does that work out for a woman who is now what we call, she's within the sandwich generation because she's caring for two families, right? It affects them emotionally, psychologically, financially, they are burdened, and there is not much uh, support groups, even families, or sometimes we would find families tend to distance themselves because they can't take, they can't handle the behavioral issues. They don't know how to deal with it. And sometimes they will hire an external caregiver. Which is what I was going to say to you at that mm -hmm. point, you find them placing the persons in homes that have that kind of specialization. Of and course. then persons will look on and think that, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, that is so cruel. But no. if you're not in the situation, of course, then you don't know what the person is dealing with. I tell persons, I give advice. If that is what works for you, you do it. Mm -hmm. If you cannot, not everybody is trained to handle this on an everyday basis. I limit my clientele to three patients a day. Three in a, an entire day because it can be tedious working with one person remember that person has different mood swings then it would be a task sometimes trying to get them to do certain things mm -hmm. and i can say if you've seen uh, a case course. someone's mother what i mean not yours but someone's mother yes, I Alzheimer's, and to think i am going to get it um it's not necessary it's uh, not hereditary no. It, okay. Some would say it is, but I, I really do not believe it is. I believe lifestyle has a lot to do with it. Because again, there are persons in their 60s who are suffering with Alzheimer's and then there are persons in their 90s who are not. Mm -hmm. So what is the, you know, where, where, what the line that we're drawing there means lifestyle has a lot to do with how we age as women. Yeah, it has a lot to do with how we age. Um, so with that being said, there was another question and I really, what was the other question? I, I don't, I mean, I'm sorry. I probably asked you like a million things in one, but <laughs> let me ask you this though. Let me ask you this. You mentioned the whole matter of lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? And you also said that women are at a greater risk. When you look at the statistics, more mm -hmm. women, would you say that it is because of the fact that we have so much on our plate? So what are some of the things that you think causes us to be more at risk than men? Well, we have the biological factor coming into play there. Um, we also have societal factors because as I mentioned earlier, we have different things bombarding us left, right, and center. Exactly. And we are stretching ourselves really thin and trying to be there for everyone as the mother role or the woman role. Because so can we sum that up as stress? Well, yes. Okay. And with that, societal rules, with that societal factors, it now leads into the lifestyle rules. Because a simple scenario is you come from work, you have a demanding job. When you come from work, you have kids. When you deal with the kids, then you have the husband. And then with the husband, then you have your parent who has Alzheimer's. Where are you getting time between this time for self-care? Where are you getting time to get up, um, prepare something healthy, to go exercise? I mean, you have to be really disciplined to do something like that. And let us face it, let us be honest. There are people going through life right now and just barely getting by, literally creeping. Especially now. Especially now. Especially with this whole COVID-19, right? So I think the societal factors lead to the lifestyle factors that causes us now to place ourselves as women in the category where we are putting ourselves at risk for other things, not only Alzheimer's, but chronic illnesses and other stuff, because right. we are touching ourselves, caring for everybody else, and women are not taking care of themselves. They find it hard to say no sometimes. They find it hard to, um, you know, seek other help because of the judgmental factors, communication barriers, different barriers with other women who probably, who they think may not understand what they're going through. And so they tend to be reserved and keep 
what they're feeling inside, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that is putting them at risk for different lifestyle issues and mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. It sounds mm-hmm. far-fetched, but it is. It is. And, and that is the information that is out there in terms yeah. of the risk, the yes, way yes. in which it comes on. Okay. There, it is there. Um, again, lack of exercise, what we eat, um, having a poor diet has, is one of the things that have been linked heavily to Alzheimer's. Wow. Heavily, a poor diet. Um, diet's high in sugar and diet's high in fat. So that's why you see dietitians and, and nutritionists would advocate for eating omega-3, 6, and 9 fatty acids to help with your cognition and to help keep you sharp. The use of B vitamins, in fact, there is a type of dementia that is linked to a B vitamin deficiency. So these are different things, you know, taking supplements, um, getting regular exercise, uh, recreational time, time away from your family and socializing with other people. These are all things that women need to take into listening to you and everything <laughs> points back to self-care. Yeah, definitely. Everything and we, neglect, we neglect it. We neglect it a lot. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And so, regular, you know, I have to add, get your yearly checkups. Mm-hmm. Okay. We neglect that as well. And so a simple routine blood test can tell us um, you're deficient in vitamins, you're deficient okay. in something simple. Okay. Blood tests, you know, can help you on your journey to becoming a better youth mm-hmm. and help you cope with what is to come. Because once a person or woman has family members with Alzheimer's, I, I, I mean, I'm not the bearer of bad news, but with the progression will come challenges and you have to prepare yourself for those challenges. And mentally is one of the ways, mentally and emotionally, you have to prepare yourself for those challenges that will come. And for you to be in a position to face those challenges head on, you need to position yourself, have proper routines and self-care in place and make sure mentally that you're fit mm-hmm. to face those challenges and you know work with what's coming because it, it, will, it will be difficult. I can tell you, it's very difficult. Yeah. I, mean, I don't have anybody who is close to me that um, has to deal with anyone with Alzheimer's. And, you know, we started all talking about dementia, but based on your explanation, it's okay that we have transitioned and we're, we're, we're talking more specifically about Alzheimer's, which is a type of dementia. <laughs> the only thing I remember is that um, I have an uncle who... Who had Alzheimer's? He's no longer with us. Right. But the first time I saw him, and I think he's the only person that I've seen with Alzheimer's. Right. Um, he was just so peaceful. I mean, it brought me back to this whole thing of once a man, twice a child. Child. Yeah. You know, and I remember talking to my dad about it, and he made such a profound statement. He was like, he looks that way. Mm-hmm. because he doesn't have anything to worry about, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's mm-hmm. why he looks that way, because when I saw him, he, he was like a child. I mean, he's an old person, but he looked very young. Young, right. Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't even know why I'm bringing up that. I, I, <laughs> I'm just putting a little bit of humor. Not right. Humor. In the, into the whole mix to say like, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, humor is one of the things that kind of would get you through a day. Yeah. If you with a patient that has, or a loved one that has Alzheimer's, you, you would see them doing things and you would find, well, that's pretty odd. That's quite strange. And so you would find a humor in things that, you know, that they would do. No, the humor, but it's just the... Wow. Yeah, yeah. you know that kind of thing it's a wow you know it's like a, a quirky it's like quirky behavior like strange behaviors and you find it to be so odd so it's not like a, it's not like you're laughing at the person but sometimes you're just you know finding humor in what they may be doing at the point in time so it's not laughing at them um but i i just want to say that persons with um alzheimer's they they do feel sometimes 
you know, sometimes, especially in the early stages, in the later stages, not so much. But one of the reasons I've learned that they are aggressive so much is because they sense that they are losing their identity. They sense that things are not the same. And so they start to get upset when persons ask, don't you remember we had to do this? Don't you remember? How come you're forgetting this? And this is something you always do. And so the person themselves, sometimes they can't explain it. They can't verbalize it. But they can sense that something is wrong. And so they start to lash out. It is a way of them um, trying to figure out what is really happening to me, you know? And so I wouldn't say that they, they don't feel... I think, no, I, I think, you know yeah. what, I remember when I visit, I'm going back to my uncle because he's the only experience that I have. So I remember when we visited with him and he, he wasn't aggressive at all. There was nothing aggressive about his behavior. He was very calm, doing his thing. I think he was having lunch or something. And, um, you know, being the inexperienced person that I am when it comes to um, dealing with people with Alzheimer's, I said to him, you don't remember so-and-so and whatever. And I mean, I saw the look in his eyes. I saw the look in his eyes and I was like, oh my God, even now I'm thinking about it and I feel some sort of way because I realize that he's trying. But then right. in his eyes that, oh God, I, I just, I don't. And he kept saying, I so remember I soon remember. You know what I mean? So I understand perfectly when you say that. They have feelings. They know at some point, they still know that something is wrong, but they can't tell. They can't verbalize and they can't see what is wrong. And I think that is one of the hardest parts for family members. For the family member as well. I think that's the hardest part because I think especially with women, again, coming back to women. Now I've worked with families and again, going back to the whole gerontology term, I always like to insert that I work with families and not only patients or persons that thing. Because family care, integration of family care is really important where that type of care is concerned. Because if the person is feeling like they're losing grasp their grasp on reality you need the family there to reinforce them and to tell them it's okay it's okay if you don't remember at this point in time you know and one of the things i also encourage is not to ask questions that they clearly will not remember rather okay. what you can do is have a conversation with them that will jog their memory and even if it can't you it comes like a form of storytelling so you can tell them stories, although they are engaged in it and they were involved in it, but you turn it into a storytelling way. So that way you eliminate the hurts, the embarrassment, yeah. and, and the feelings of me trying to remember something that I clearly can't remember. It, it, you know, it eliminates that. But again, coming back to the family aspect of the care. Now, communication is something that I stress on a lot. If you... Uh, follow my page or read the post I always say behavior is a language communication is something I stress on and where when a person is unable to communicate with a person who has Alzheimer's or communicate with someone who has dementia it becomes equally hard for the family member because now that is where the isolation comes in now let's think about it you invite me to dinner your mother has Alzheimer's. Your mother walks up and down. She probably takes off her clothes. She would make inappropriate remarks. She may blurt out stuff, you know, probably embarrassing stuff. And me as the person who is not used to it, I am thinking this is such an awkward situation. I don't even know what to say. I, right. I do not know what to say. And so what do we do as humans we tend to stay away from awkward situations that's all Mm -hmm. so now i am no longer coming to your house because your mother is there and i don't know how to to engage her yes and so you see how the isolation starts 
from a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. It starts so simple because persons do not know how to communicate. They don't know how to engage the person. And so they think, well, rather than me learning and talking to her, talking to my friend about it or asking her, I may just okay. ask her, how are you going? How so-and-so going? How are you, mommy? Everything good? How are you coping? But really in the back of your mind, even if the person is telling you how they're coping, you can't say nothing, you know, because you don't understand. Yeah. I know that woman is isolated. And you see, it goes back again to lifestyle and society factors. And what happens when that woman is isolated? Yeah. So you talked about... Um I think you briefly mentioned preventative measures, if there are any. One of the things that stood out for me was you saying that simple checkups mm-hmm. can point us to deficiencies that mm-hmm. could probably later lead on to um, the onset of dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's or whatever. What other um, preventative measures do you think as women Mm-hmm. outside of or or is it that self-care just encompasses everything that we need to do i think is there anything well, else well let's see how i can tie it in now everything would ultimately tie into self-care ultimately mm-hmm. but there are different things under self-care because some persons think a self self-care is a manicure and a pedicure and a day at the spa <laughs> somebody massaging a piece but that's not self-care self-care is mindfulness yes right mindfulness of triggers mindfulness of environment mindfulness of who's around you mindfulness of how you react to certain things that is self-care now that it can be a preventative measure and i'll explain further why now if you are in a situation as a woman where you know you clearly cannot handle certain things i think it's well you know within your right to remove yourself from that environment where you cannot handle certain things back to you were mentioned putting the person in institutionalized care right that could be a method of preventative measure for you why you do not have the the emotional and psychological stress and therefore you are eliminating a part of stress from your life so it is not a bad thing to eliminate anything that causes you stress that can lead to heart disease that can lead to you adopting other different habits because when we stress you know we do strange things and we don't pay attention to it. I could share a secret of something very strange I used to do. And I only realized that while I was studying, that was about five, six years ago. It was because of stress. I was eating soap. <gasps> yes. I was eating soap. I was stressed. I realized when I'm happy, I am okay. And as soon as I, my, my, I'm in a situation where I think, I'm overwhelmed and I have too much to do. You've been uh, vulnerable, my dear. Thank you so much for, be, for being vulnerable. Y- yes, no, because I know, I know, and people tend to hide these things and yes. I, I try to add, do not hide, yeah. get Deal help. The situation, yes. Do not hide. There are so many people going through the same thing as you. You wouldn't believe. You would not believe there and there could be someone and can help you. Someone would have gone through the same thing and something would have worked for them and they would say, hey, well, you know, I tried this and it would probably you can try that. So there's, uh, you know, to me, I think n- there's absolutely nothing wrong with being vulnerable, telling people that you went through things. Yeah, because the idea at the end of the yeah. day is not about <laughs> telling your business. If, if, if the person who is on the receiving end wants to go do that, well, fine. But your aim is that you're trying to help others to understand that, hey, you're not alone. Of course. There are others of us who are, you know, yeah. Of course, we do strange things. The reason I was so open about that is because I realized when I'm stressed, I was doing things that was harmful to me. But again, I didn't make the link until later on. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, further down long time but my point is as women we may think we're handling the pressures of life fine but there are little habits that we do when we get in certain situations that we need to pay attention to so again preventative measures eliminating stress and of course if you cannot care for the person alone then of course you seek help 
um, personally exercising is something that we advocate for brain health doing puzzles complicated puzzles the sudoku puzzles that is so hard but anything complex to yeah. your brain that can help prevent alzheimer's for instance if you are a right-hander sometimes you can try writing with your left hand something, as simple, that. something as simple as that and we you know, it's difficult sometimes, huh, to be real yeah. honest with you, because it looked like what we would say, you know, with some scrap or belly writing, <laughs> like something we used to see when we were smaller. Um, but it looks really scribbled like a toddler learning to write. However, simple things like that, giving your brain that type, that type of exercise and mm -hmm. challenge can be a preventative measure. So we have puzzles, we have cardio, we have um, running, jogging, walking, reading the newspaper daily, that can help. It helps you because it keeps your brain and your mind active. active. So there's some things that anything that can keep your mind can I going. Say, and can I say that it seems as if reading is on decline? Yes, but we don't read a lot. I don't know why persons. Now, we don't have the time. There's too much up things happening around us and we don't have the time to settle down but i mean if it's even for 30 minutes you know but i something like that I, you know jacqueline i never think that there's there could be so much things going on because even if you're not reading like like literally reading you can listen to um, the newspaper, there's audio newspaper, there are audio books and stuff like that. Because when I go to sleep, I listen to my audio books and, you know, it gives you, although sometimes you're not reading, but you're listening along and you're taking in and your mind is going, you know, they say when you read books, you're in a different zone all the time, which is true. Um, but there's so much things going on. I think, I mean, if you can't pick up a book, you can, you know, listen or something. It goes but back to what you said. It's all about being mindful, definitely. you know, and knowing what is good for us. Definitely. Mindfulness is key. And it's not selfish to tell someone I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to do it. Sometimes we don't we don't know how to say no, so we tend to make up excuses. Yeah. Um, I don't make up excuses. I'm just like, nah, I I, I, I can't do it right now, but I'll let you know if I can. You don't really owe anybody. As women, we always like to cushion the, the yeah. blow because we don't want people to think that we are so heartless or we are so yeah. mean. Yeah. So we want to think we're nice all the time and say, yes. I can't do it right now and, you know, giving explanations. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. We have to be comfortable with saying no and we have to know that it's okay to say no. Correct. Correct. So, Again, back to your question, those are some of the things that we can do as a preventative measure. Um, you know, of course, if you have the gene, then that's something totally different. But we can you prevent the gene because they said that sometimes with the hereditary, they test a certain, uh, certain genes. I think it's an MSE or MRSE gene or something along the lines of that. Um, Gene testing is not something that we do in the Caribbean because it's very expensive. So it is not to say if my mother or my grandmother have it, I am going to get it. Sometimes a, a younger person will get it and the, the parent never even had it. So there is no way of saying um, it's hereditary. And again, it's expensive to test. So we're just looking at ways to prevent, prevent. Mm -hmm. prevent it. That is what so awesome. This is so awesome. Um, yeah. So you spoke about the caregiving part of it. Mm -hmm. And I want us to kind of speak to that and how can we support persons who are giving care to um, persons living with dementia? Right. I love that question. You ever heard about ghosting in relationships? About what? You're a little ghosting. bit low. Ghosting, ghosting, you know, like... Oh, ghosting. You have a friend and then suddenly you just don't talk to the person anymore. Oh, yeah. Call it thing. Okay. Right. I would use that term now and bring it to caregivers. Don't ghost your friends, your friends who have a family member with Alzheimer's. 
and we tend to do it not that we want to but as i said earlier right. because of the, the clear barrier where communications are con where communication is concerned we tend to stay away from things or people that may make us uncomfortable and if we're doing that it means we're isolating our friends and we're not giving them support mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so don't ghost your friends or what you can do is learn more about it ask the person more about it and if they don't know more about it seek more information so that way you are going to the house you are giving them support or you can uh, give them some coping strategies clear coping strategies or strategies that can make sense mm -hmm. for the person you know based on what they're going through at the very moment remember the factors that we spoke about we speak about the the anxiety we speak about the societal effects the demands of the job we speak about the burden that they would face where financial burden is concerned mm -hmm. we speak about the family issues and so those are the different pillars that the person is dealing with and as a friend if we want to support someone support a caregiver we have to know we are supporting them because they're experiencing these issues and the support has to lie within those issues and so one of the way of dealing with that is understanding what the person is going through asking a question learning about dementia finding out more about it and don't make it an awkward situation where you are scared to ask about it because you think the person may feel ashamed or person may feel you know bad and don't want to speak about it mm -hmm. most of the persons i have met sometimes a simple hi how are you doing and they start to go off because it's like they've been waiting for someone to speak to and to just show some compassion compassion how are you coping with this this must be a simple question how are you coping with this this must be so difficult and make sure and let the person know I'm not experiencing it, but I would imagine it's difficult for you. How are you going with this? Simple. Oh, I can help you. Simple. You yeah. know, what, what I could do to help you? Can we go out sometime? Right. Do you have someone there that could, you know, watch your loved one while we go out for some coffee, go to Starbucks, go somewhere, go and watch a movie, have a girl's night, some kind of something, yeah. you know? Yeah. It doesn't mean... When you are isolating a caregiver who's caring for someone with Alzheimer's, you are further throwing them down into the abyss. Into the deep. Yeah. This is what we are doing. Yeah. And so we can't afford to do that. No woman must be left behind. We want to create a network where persons feel comfortable in opening dialogue, speaking about people, speaking about their loved ones, that says, my grandmother has dementia. Right now, we hide. Yeah. For whatever reason, I can't. I mean, I understand privacy. I'm not telling you to tell every single person. Yeah, hey, you know my. I, my I think. I think. I think it's probably like a stereotype. You know, a stereotypical view of how we see certain things. You know, for example, but, mental health. People don't want to talk about mental health because they feel like if they talk about mental health, it means that something is amiss. Yeah, something is amiss, but you still need to get the help. But it okay. doesn't mean you're crazy. Anybody can have a breakdown. Of it's course. The same thing. We all go through experiences and nothing is wrong because we, we actually, we have some kind of control, but it all comes with education, which is what we're doing right now. So Correct. if we don't have the education and we don't do whatever, it happens. Of course. And I can't can be blamed for we that. Have, we have a, a thing here, whereas, well, I did a, a, what was it? I think it was a podcast recently. And one of the things I was speaking about is denial with uh, dementia diagnosis. And I always, I, I always need to go all out with a topic like that because- I can imagine. Hiding is not helping. I am not telling you, tell everybody you meet. However, seek the person. Just like if you are sick, you would seek a doctor. Right. If you are, have a particular type of illness, you will seek a specialist, not so. Right. This is something where you seek a gerontologist. Mm -hmm. This is something you would seek probably a, geria, um, a, a geriatric physician. Seek 
the person two or three percent of mental health you know i mean we all we all have mental health we all have mental wellness we yeah. all have and so at any point in time we can get mental ill mentally yeah. ill because yeah. we have mental wellness and the line between mentally ill and mentally well is being in a zone where you know how to balance your life yeah it's simple as that and if we don't balance sometimes the stresses can get to us and anything can happen so there is no need to hide anything especially as a, a woman who is struggling what i can say is get somebody confidential if you still have reservations and learn more about what you're dealing with and let someone like a gerontologist guide you onto what to expect so you can know how to deal with it when it comes okay that advice i can give okay. it is and very sound advice it is yeah. sound advice because it doesn't make sense for us to keep it inside and, and not get treated because what happens, it gets bigger and bigger and, until it's out of control. Correct. So, all right, so we're, uh, we're at the end pretty much. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the matter? Well, what I want to ask you is that vitamin D deficiency? That is yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It you, is. Can, you can text that to me after, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually did a um a while last year while I was in St. Vincent teaching the same workshop and when I came up to that slide everybody was like hmm? vitamin B everybody was like and ironically we had well it was a full house and there was one meal in the entire um wow one meal in the entire attendance attendees one meal and the majority of the women they were caregivers so you see we are seeing the statistics i teach geriatric nursing at my institute and the most male i've ever had most ratio i think i had two to 12 so i had 12 females and two males so for whatever reason women are always on the forefront where yes nursing and caring is concerned so it's equally important when we throw ourselves out there that we step back and we take our time to care for ourselves the way we want to care for others because we can't pour from an empty cup but in closing what i would say is i want everybody to understand or get an understanding of what dementia is it's not going away it's now termed as a chronic illness um, many moons ago, everybody was afraid of cancer. I mean, we still are, but when we afraid look at what? cancer, oh, cancer. Mm -hmm. we're speaking about cancer. Persons get old, they die of cancer. Now, persons right. are dying of dementia, Alzheimer's, and it is it's something that's not going away because there is no cure. Right. Just like it is not going anywhere because we do not have a vaccine as yet. And it is growing steadily, it's rapid. And I want to advocate for everyone, caregivers, especially family patients, seek help, seek a gerontologist within your area to help guide you, put together care plans so that you can work with a routine that can help you, um, you know, minimize the stressors, right? Mm -hmm. um, in addition, persons in authority need to work together and come up with some national plan on addressing this. Um, Dementia-friendly communities is something that I'm, I'm working on in Trinidad as we speak. Uh, it's a lot of traction because a lot of persons are speaking about the youths, but we have older persons that we need to pay attention to just as much. Okay. Um, the older person, um, sorry, persons in authority, I want them to put together an NCP, put together a national care plan for the age population and persons who are suffering with Alzheimer's, put together a plan come together, put some policies in place, um, especially for family members who have to go through the ordeal of splitting themselves four or five different ways and you know, providing care for um, a loved one with Alzheimer's. So these are the two things that I wanted to leave the listeners with. Okay, awesome. But um, I just remember when I was introducing you you mentioned in your bio that you developed a behavioral approach to dementia. 
yes, I can do. just in a minute or less, just tell me what that is about and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Sure. So I would have mentioned that one of the clinical manifestations of the behavioral issues and that is where everybody has the challenges with. And I've learned um, over the years working with those persons, the behavioral approach is one of the way to have the person comply with you and to basically get them to do what okay. you want to do, but you give them the control. So the behavioral approach is about giving the patient the control, but more or less doing what you want, but they think they are in control. It's a psychological kind of reverse psychology thing, yes. but it works because yes, we have, so have the yeah, we have anger, we have anxiety, we have aggression. Those are the three E's that accompany Alzheimer's and dementia diagnosis. And those are the behavioral challenges. The mood swings, these are the things that the caregiver or the family has to deal with. And those are the, what, um, we are, the reports that we get. Anytime we get a new client and I ask, what are the challenges you're having right now? I can't deal with the old boost. I can't deal. I can't deal with the mood swings. I can't deal with the behavior. It's challenging. And mm -hmm. so that caused me to pen the behavioral approach. So is it something that you teach? Is this a course that, um, how, how is it accessible? I is only do your... I do workshops. Oh, you do workshops. Workshops. So I would do workshops within different islands or within different communities. I am in the process of penning it as an ebook and i'm also thinking of doing it as a webinar where persons can have access to it yes. and so they could purchase it review it try the techniques and of course they will have it to work with if they don't want to pay to have a specialist on board you know mm -hmm. um so i'm in the process of doing that but for now um because of the issue with me being unable to travel to teach it and of course with social distancing i am now forced to convert it digitally okay okay so yeah. quickly tell the viewers how they can find you on social media okay i am pretty easy to find you can find me simone blackwood tt on instagram simone blackwood tt on Facebook, Simone Blackwood TT on LinkedIn, Simone Blackwood TT on Twitter. So I am really easy to find, just typing my name. Simone Blackwood TT, the TT is for Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago, yes. Awesome. Simone, I want to thank you so much for coming on and bringing awareness to this topic. I've learned so much and I have been, my fear has been somewhat... <laughs> alleviated when I when you know when I said to you that boy I'm forgetting stuff and I'm wondering but it really is a serious topic that we need to put out there and I know you're doing a tremendous job where that is concerned it's just that sometimes when something is not in the forefront you know people don't really put too much emphasis on it but that, that I came across your page I said no man this is something that I know can affect women and let's talk about it. So I'm very excited that you came on, that we have some information. And for those who want more information, they can reach out to you. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, Jacqueline. You take care. No problem. I will keep in touch. Yes, we will. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, Simone.